Well, good morning. Love today. It's a beautiful day. Sun is shining and just good to again be together in fellowship. I read a uh, story uh, this week. <clears throat> I'm sure many of you are familiar uh, with Suresh Joachim. You know that name, Suresh? He has really uh, set the standards for the future of America. He has set uh, a Guinness uh, world record for being the longest uh, watching person of television and set the record for the uh, greatest couch potato uh, in America. 69 hours, 48 minutes, sitting in front of a television. And the rules were every hour you got five minutes off, every eight hours you got 15 minutes. And he spent 69 hours, 48 minutes, watching television. And you go, wow, what an accomplishment. <laughs> Can you think of the physical training that went into this? The mental preparedness. What an example for our children to follow. I told my kid the other day, I said, Caleb, it's only been eight hours, let's go. More time in front of TV just sitting there doing nothing. You know, Paul has a word for Suresh and for any of us who might be similar. In 2 Thessalonians, turn there if you would. Chapter 3, and we are finishing Thessalonians this morning. Starting in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ... We command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and who does not live according to the teaching that you received from us. And you go, wow, these are powerful words. They seem harsh. They seem strong. You go, where's the grace? Where's the love of God is as Paul has been speaking to the Thessalonians and, and telling them how much he loves them and how he loves relationship with them and, and how to keep on standing firm and holding on. And then he says very strongly, stay away from those who are idle. I do not want you to spend time with them. I do not want you to invest in them. And look at the words he uses in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. I command you, keep away. It really does seem to be in contrast with what he was speaking earlier in the scriptures where he says, listen, I pray that the Lord strengthens you in every good deed, every good word that you are doing. And I know that you're doing the things that Paul has commanded you, that the Lord has commanded you. And so keep persevering. In this Christian life. This was just the previous several verses. And now he comes in to stay away from this. Well, let me tell you a little bit of the history and what's going on. There was in the midst of the church, as again, these are new churches and you need to understand that, right? They're learning how to to have fellowship. They're learning how to love each other. They're learning how to live in Christian community. 
And right in the middle of this uh, culture and this new church is truly what we see of a hippie generation. It's pre-hate Ashbury, but it's really what was taking place. And there was a group of Christians or a group of people who were in the middle of the church who were excited about the end times coming. And they were so excited about it that they decided, we're going to just go around and we're going to just tell everybody how excited we are about it. And, and then we're not going to do anything. We're not going to work. We're just going to hang out and hopefully you have a little food to give me. And that's really what they did. It's the perpetual college student. <laughs> and we see this in the lives and in the community and Paul is observing this and, and we're finding that they're kind of, they're kind of stirring things up in the church. They're going around from place to place and giving their view of the end times. It wasn't accurate to what Paul had taught. It wasn't accurate to what the Lord had presented. And so he deals strongly with this. And one of the things I want you to understand is that this is not a light issue. This issue of idleness. It's not light for Paul. It is not light for our Lord and how we are to live out our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. He says, I command you. It's actually a military term that is used. One that would speak for, so it would come down to those in his rank. And it kind of has the idea, if you think about it, of, listen, we are in a spiritual battle. There is no time for idleness. There is no time for these other words that are not true. We need to come together And to fight together because we're in a battle for spiritual life. And remember, Paul has been reminding them, hold on, stand firm. We know you're facing persecution. Keep running this race. And so Paul steps in again and says, listen, persevere here. And I command you with the authority of God, with the authority of Jesus Christ. Do not enter in with those who are being idle. We are in this battle, so restrain, so hold back. You know, it's an interesting word, actually. Stay away from those who are idle. It it actually has the idea of those who are out of step. Those who are not walking properly. Those who are away from the ranks. Those who do not step or show up. Those who are deviating from what is good and what is right. That's the word he uses. And so he speaks forth with them, and as he speaks this, he says, I don't want you to walk this way, I don't want you to walk disorderly. In Colossians 2, verse 5, it says, as Paul is excited about the the church in Colossae, he says, I rejoice to see the order that is in your midst and the firmness of your faith. And so there is a proper way in which we as a family of God walk as we live in righteousness, as we live to please the Lord. And when we are out of step, I think what he's saying is that you are out of step in the way that God has created you. You're out of step in the way that God has intended for us as a church body to walk together. And you're deviating from 
the way that we're supposed to do that. And so Paul interjects with strong words. Again, as in, I, I don't, he doesn't sit here and go, I'm just making a suggestion. I think this might be good for the body. You need to hear it. Those who are deviating from what God has intended for you and also for the church body together is a serious matter unto the Lord because he desires for us to grow together. He knows the spiritual battle we're in together. He desires for us to move closer to the Lord, to not be led astray by false teachings, by things that whisper hints of what looks like truth but is not. And so we band together as we move in righteousness. We should be, the Romans had the idea of of being side by side, shoulder to shoulder, spears out, marching forward. That would be the image of walking in order in the Lord. Stay away from those who are literally playing truant, is what it's boiled down to. Remember the old truancy officers at school? I don't think they have those anymore. Something similar, maybe. But they would look for you if you were playing truant. Wanted you to get back in order. Because here's the proper way to learn and to live. Well, and as you read the scripture again, you go, boy, Lord, this really does seem awfully strong. And why is Paul coming down so hard? And again, I think it goes against the image of God. And I think it goes against his intention for us as a church body. And so I want to look this morning with what does the Bible teach us about dealing with the end times? And I want us to look at what the Bible teaches us about the value of work. What does it look like for us to work? The end times. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, he says, listen, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, I want you to pray. Therefore, I want you to love each other deeply. Therefore, I want you to offer hospitality. And I also want you to use the gifts that God has given you. The end of all things is right in our midst, and I want you to keep living out your life in Christ, is what he's saying. You know, we do, we get caught up, I think, and every generation has it, with what's going to happen in the end. Obviously, the Left Behind series, significant book, they kept writing more and more books, right? Because people kept reading them. With 14 or, I don't know, it just kept going on. I couldn't finish. I got to nine, I think. But we're fascinated, aren't we, with what's going to happen in the end. And we will pick up things to try to understand and see what's going to take place. And it's fine to search out scriptures and say, Lord, what do you have for us in the end times? But Peter is urging us, listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, here's one thing you know. There will be an end times. Again, the whole book of Thessalonians is in light of the end times. But in the middle of it, while God has us here on this planet, Peter says, listen, pray. Pray for each other. Pray that those who don't know the Lord will come to receive the Lord. Pray fervently. Love each other. Again, that agape love. Go out of your way to show the love of Christ. We live in the end times today. Then he says, I want you to offer hospitality. Remember, 
Hospitality is lover of strangers. And hospitality is, is actually not a, uh, we don't see it in the list of spiritual gifts. Some people say my gift is, is hospitality. Well, I think it's more a way of loving people, of serving people, but hospitality is a call for all of us, each and every one. We are to be a lover of strangers. What are we to do in light of the end times? We're to reach out to our neighbors. Again, you know, we're setting up this time where we're going to have lunch together with each other. And by the way, those are in the foyer, and people have listed their homes and sign up uh, and list your home to be a home that you can be a lover of strangers because you know what? We are strangers, some of us, one to another. And so we get to know each other. Be a lover of strangers and then ask God to, through the Holy Spirit, show you what your spiritual gifts are so that you might build up the body of Christ. And do you notice that every one of these is action? It isn't and sit by and just do nothing in light of the end times. How are we living as a church body in light of the end times? And I hope that we continue to pray and to love and to offer hospitality. And you know what the scriptures actually says? It says, it says offer hospitality without grumbling. That means someone comes into your house and they put, put their feet on the table. You said, welcome to my home, make yourself at home. And they did. That means you're okay with it. You're the one who offered hospitality. Let them be at home. Show the love of Christ. You can fix the table later. It's just a table. It's people that God wants us to invest in. And so we live in light of that. And then he says about work, again, as we look at the value of work and what the Lord has for us. Howard Hendricks said that the average layman has the idea that his vocation is his penalty. That this is God's judgment upon me, is this work that I have. And I hope this morning that we can change your thinking of that, if that's where you're at. That work is truly a gift from God. That work is a blessing in our lives. You know, as as you think about it, and we go back to the beginning of time, remember God created man and he breathed into his life. And he enjoyed fellowship with him. And then what did he do? He put him to work. Hey, I want you to tend my garden. I want you to enjoy all of my creation. I want you to work. It wasn't a toil. It wasn't a pain. It was from the very beginning that we should be ones created in the image of God to work. And then we chose to sin, and at that point it made it toil. It just made it where it's hard. But we're still created in the image of God to work. And so Paul again is strong against those who say, no, I don't need to work. I'm just going to be out here speaking forth what I think is true. I don't need to step in. I just need to be the one who is going to tell you what's going to happen in the end times. Or the one who is just lazy and says, well, God will provide. And so I'm taking a step of faith. So I'm not going to work. God is all about work. 
Sin caused it to be a, str- a struggle. But as we see from the beginning, it is a fulfillment of our being. As we labor, it fills us up in who we are in our creation. As we achieve, as we take steps and we make accomplishments, as we produce, you know that feels good. It feels good when you, you finish the job. Uh, it's, it's fun to do carpentry projects because you, you have a task and you put up a fence or whatever, and it's done, and you look at it and you go, ah, that feels good. It looks good. I feel good about myself. It's a little crooked, but okay. It's still done. Harry comes over and tells me, Rod, it's crooked. I don't know how many times. But we love to create. And I think you know that of yourself. In our innermost being, we desire to work. <clears throat> Six days shalt thou labor, and on the seventh day thou shalt be a day of rest for you. Now, I know some of you might be saying, well, Rod, you know, that's all good for you. Maybe it's good for some people who have really cool jobs. My job is I sit in a little cubicle all day and I stare at a computer. And sometimes I really wonder what difference I'm making. Work truly is a toil and it's hard to go every day. But you know, the Lord speaks to us when we have a day where we just go, this is just hard labor. In Colossians 3.17, and you need to hold on to this every day. Whatsoever you do, in word or in deed, do it to the glory of God. In whatsoever you do, if you're digging a ditch, if you're at a keyboard, if you're out constructing something, in whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it unto the glory of the Lord. Do you understand the perspective of that? We are here solely to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer our own. We're bought with a price. Our whole lives are His. And so whatever we do, we are trying to please our Lord. And so as we work at a job that may seem insignificant, you go, Lord, may I work hard. May I be an example to those around me. May you somehow give me an opportunity with a guy in the cubicle next to me. That's not just about punching a button. It's not just about, you know, showing up at work and that the work is what life is about. It's going, Lord, I'm here to please you. And so in my attitude and in my prayer and in the people that I get to come in contact with, may it glorify your name. Hold on to that as you serve in days that you toil. And we all have them, don't we? That's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. None of us are immune to that. And so the Lord says, move on in that. And you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about in scriptures about who the Lord called to serve Him. Who is it that the Lord drew out to be leaders? And it seems like we always see those who are right in the middle of their work. Moses is out taking care of some sheep in the desert. And he gets his call. 
from the Lord. Joshua, who takes over, he is Moses' servant, and he's serving Moses, and he's working with him. And then the mantle is passed right in the middle of his labor and his work as he will lead the Israelites into the promised land. We see Gideon in a wine press, and he's threshing wheat, working hard, and the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Hey, mighty warrior, I got something for you to do. More than threshing wheat. Shows up to David, young boy, again, tending the flock. Hey, you fishermen, out there working hard, trying to get a catch for the day. Come be my disciples. And Jesus, building away as a carpenter. All of life is surrounded with the value and the creation of work. And that's who our God is. As we sing songs this morning about the image of God and who he is and his love for us and his name, one of the things that you cannot forget about our God is creator. Scriptures tell us why we sleep. God is at work. He's ministering. His Holy Spirit is going out. That's the nature of our Lord. And he works. He is creator and sustainer. You know, the scriptures say, let's read on in 7 through 9. Paul says, For you yourselves know how, we ought to, how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. You see, in the, in the Jewish mind, they honored the value of work. Actually, all of the rabbis, they had a side job. They had a, a craft in which they were, would partake in. And they earned income through that as well. On the other hand, the Greeks hated labor, and so they always got slaves to do their work. But for the Jewish mind, there was an incredible value of work. And so Paul says, you must. When I think of that, I go, Paul is concerned about the spiritual lives of the body of Christ, as our Lord is. And so such a strong, I command you, I want you to live this way. You must. You must work because it would be detrimental to our spiritual lives if we did not. Because it would take away the character of God out of our lives. We would not enter into who He is. We would not understand Him. We would not set an example of godliness if we choose not to work. If we choose just to soak off the welfare system till we can. And we know that's a problem in America, don't we? People abuse the system all the time. It's not godly. It's wrong. 
It's not who God intended you to be. You know, it's interesting. I worked in uh, Washington, D.C. for uh, about a year. And uh, I was out there actually as a young man, about 22. And um, we, uh, I worked with a national prayer breakfast out there. But I had a good friend. Her name was Celeste. And she worked with the government. And her job was to uh, help people, homeless people, to help them find work. And so one day, Celeste and I are just hanging out. We're in, we're in downtown D.C. on 3rd Street. And we, uh, we come across a homeless guy. And so we say, hey, are you hungry? Would you like something to eat? He's like, yeah, I'm hungry. So we just take him. There's a, there's a local McDonald's, you know, right there. And so we take him and we get some food and we're just talking to him. And he tells us his story and how he, he you know, uh, came across real hard times. And how he's really having a hard go of it. And as he shared this story, Celeste again works with a, the government to provide work. And so she said, listen, Michael, if you will show up at 10 a.m. on Monday morning, uh, we will find you a job. And he's like, I'll be there. And he was just real excited. I called Celeste on Tuesday. I'm all, Celeste, what happened with Michael? So I didn't show. And I'm like, are you kidding? He was so excited about getting work and, and, and just couldn't wait to, to show up. And, and I was excited for him, and I know you were. And she goes, you know, Rod, she goes, 90% of the people that we invite to come don't show. And I said, well, what is that about? Tell me what's going on. And she goes, you know what, they get to a place where they've been living off the system and a couple things happen. One, that becomes a very comfortable spot for them. But the biggest thing is they've lost all value in who they are. And they truly don't believe anymore that they can even work, that they can offer anything. They've lost any sense of self-worth. It's gone. And so as the psychologists enter into this, their whole trial is to, to try to give back self-worth and encouraging them that if you start to work again, your value in yourself will come. God created us to be ones who labor, ones who work, ones who step out and live in godliness and have that life in us. Paul says, I want you to work yourself. I am a one who works. I'm a tent maker. And I showed up in your midst. I didn't mooch off of you. He says, I had the right to receive something from you. You know, as one who teaches the Word of God, the Scripture says, provide for those. Take care of those who minister to you. And so Paul says, I had the right to ask for that. But I chose not to. Why? Because he wanted to show the value of work. He wanted to show them that he's not here to cheat the system. We want to show that what was happening in the community was not proper. It was not good. It wasn't the way to live life. And so he chose not to work because we're made in God's image. It's what gives us significance. And it doesn't matter where we work as long as we work unto the Lord. You know, one of the things that, that you will find, and many of you maybe stepped into this, 
But when you get to an age where retirement comes in to the picture, and you've been working your whole life, and you look forward to retirement and to rest, and finally the day comes and you pack up the office, and you get home, and you go, what in the world do I do now? And you know what? I know you've experienced this. I've talked with many of you. And it creates this hole in your life. And you truly don't even understand it. And it's like, wait a sec. I worked so hard my whole life, and now I finally get the time to just do whatever I want. And yet I'm struggling spiritually. I don't know what this is. I honestly don't believe God is a God of retirement. And so, yeah, you may finish one job. But it's from one work to the next. It should be. God has called you from that work into the next. And here's one of the things I want you to understand and hear very clearly in the Scripture and where Paul was coming down strong. It wasn't he was coming down strong on those who weren't able to work, those who physically maybe had some issues where they couldn't work or They were just in an age where really their bodies just couldn't move anymore. I mean, work would be hard. They kind of became the prayer warriors. But he's coming down on those who are able. And he's saying your life is about living out the kingdom of God. It's not for a life of ease. It's not for a life of rest. Your whole being is about going, God, what is the next good thing that you have me stepping into? And so I just want to encourage you, if you're getting to that age of retirement or if you're there, that truly when you wake up in the morning, you're going, Lord, I know you have a good work for me to do today. What is that? It's fine to enjoy a day and and work in your yard. It's fine to go and fish. It's fine to rest. I actually was reading this chapter as I was sitting by a poolside on vacation. And I'm like, come on, Lord. Give me a break. No, we we need rest. The Lord knows that. But do you know what I'm saying? He's saying, I have got good things for you. You are here for a purpose. You have value. And you're here to live out the life of Christ in this world that needs to know who Christ is. And so again, take a step. You know, it's interesting how we need this. There's a study at uh, California, University of California, Berkeley. They actually did a study on amoebas. And the study was, listen, we're going to take an amoeba and we're going to introduce that amoeba into a perfectly stress-free environment. Ideal temperature, optimal concentration of moisture, constant food supply. The amoeba had an environment in which it had to make no adjustment whatsoever. And so you would think, this must be one happy little amoeba. A week later, it died. And they went, how could this be? We've given every single thing that it could possibly need to make it comfortable, where it didn't have to have any of the stresses that amoebas get, and and gave it everything, and it died. And their conclusion was, apparently, even the smallest amoeba, every living creature, has some need for change and to work towards adaptation 
and they must adjust, and there must be something in front of them in which there must be work ahead in order to adjust to the new situation. Even in the amoeba, that was their conclusion. We are not called to a life of ease and just comfort. We are called to live in the life of the Holy Spirit and the power of God to witness to this world. We're called to fulfill our task of work so that we might be an example to the rest of the world. That work is good. That work has value. And that we live in it. And Paul again is saying, listen, I want you to deal with those who aren't. I want you to step in. And his rebuke is strong because the character of God is being challenged. Truth is being challenged. And he takes it seriously. And so what do we do with those in our midst? How do we enter in? Verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they're busy bodies. And such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down. Earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. How do we enter into loving one another when we've got someone who chooses not to work? How do we step into that life? If he does not work, he shall not eat. Stop providing for them. That's what Paul says. You know what? This is one of the areas that we see this most. And I know some of you have dealt with this, and it's a, it's a painful trial. And, and we really wrestle with how to do this. And it's dealing with our adult children. Our adult children who show up and they end up living at home again. And then they kind of just do nothing, truly. They are sitting around and expecting you to take care of them. Occasionally they might go out and try to find a job. And yet we keep providing for them. We keep feeding them. We give them a home. And I'm here to tell you this morning that is not a good thing to do. We can extend grace, okay? We can take our adult children who maybe just hit a rough patch. And we can provide for them but it's for a short season. And I just want to encourage you that if that's the situation with you, that you really go, Lord, what do you have for us in helping this young adult have the fulfillment of you, that they would have value in themselves, that they would get out and work, and if they can't find the job they're looking for, they just get a job no matter what. And truly it's time to say, hey, you know what? I love you but get out of the house. And I mean that. And that's hard. I mean, I go with my little boys. I go, gosh, how could I ever do that someday? If they... Again, it doesn't mean you haven't extended grace. But if they're sitting around and honestly they are not working, you do not bless them. Honestly, it's not of godly nature. It's not what the Lord would have for your son or daughter. He wants them to have value. He wants them to learn to trust in Him. 
And so in all of the love of Christ, you say, listen, we're going to make a goal, and by this date, it's time to move on so that they would be fulfilled in God. And so he says, don't provide for them. And again, that's not an easy step, but it's one that we should take. Because the outcome of that is it's destructive. The outcome of what was happening in the church, it was destructive to the body. They were being busybodies. They were becoming gossips. They, they had nothing else to do, so they just stirred things up in the body of Christ. When we don't have work, we look for other things to do. When you go, why is there so much crime in our nation and across the world? It's because people are not working. It's true. We also live in an evil world. But with people having plenty of time to do nothing, they think of something to do. And it's usually destructive. He says they're meddling, they're walking around in circles, or they're like a dog chasing after its tail. They're accomplishing a lot of nothing real fast. That's who they're becoming. Proverbs 26:17 says, "He that passes by and meddles with something not belonging to him is like the one who takes hold of a dog by the ears." You ever taken a hold of a dog by the ears? They go nuts and they'll bite you. Do that to a pit bull. See what happens. When we meddle in the affairs that do not belong to us, this is what it's like according to the Proverbs. He says, urge them to stop living this way. Encourage them. Help them to get work. And you know, we as a body of Christ should be doing that for one another. If you know of someone in this body who is willing to work, why don't we help them to get work so that they are fulfilled in Christ, so that they have the joy of of achieving, of accomplishing, of, of providing for their family. Let's keep our ears open to those in need of work. And as a body, let's lift each other up in that. If they are qualified, let's help them get the job. Help them, he says. Urge them to stop living this way. And I love this verse, 3.13. Never tire of doing what is right. May we never tire of doing what is right. Because what Paul's saying is, you know what? People like this who are just idle, who are lazy, who have no value in, in their work, who just want everybody to give them everything, we get tired of them, don't we? They start to annoy us. They start to be a pain. And Paul's saying, keep stepping into their lives. Because what God has for them is more than this. God has more value for them to live for. And so help them to get to that place. I want you to enter in. Help them to realize. He actually says, it says, take note of them. What that means is, you enter into the situation. Don't just, the situation's going on and a brother or sister is just lazy, idle, doing nothing but stirring things up. He says, take note. That means step into the situation at hand. Don't avoid entering into what will probably be a little bit of conflict. And so step into their lives with love and the strength of the Lord, really wanting them to succeed, but step in. Don't avoid. That's how we love a brother or sister who is one who will not work. Help them to realize in the community that it's shameful. You know, in Alabama, what a judge did, these guys stole from Walmart. So they made them stand out in front of Walmart with a big old placard on them, said, I'm a thief, I stole from Walmart. And it was just shameful. 
I'm not saying we should do that to our brothers and sisters. But what Paul says is, we don't enter into relationship with them so that they might feel shamed. We don't just keep going, hey, it's fine what you're doing, so come on over and let's have supper together and everything's cool. It's not cool. It's destructive to your life. It's destructive to the body. And therefore, we're not going to continue just to pretend like everything's okay. And no, we will not have you over for fellowship. Does it mean that you cut off the relationship? No. No. Paul goes on to say, they're not the enemy. They are not the enemy. And may you never forget that. They are ones who need to be strengthened in the Lord. And that takes a strong brother or sister through the power of the Spirit to say, you know what, I love you so much, I want to help you get back to a place where you are filled with the image of God and that you are working and having value in this community and having value in life. And then so he calls us to live at peace with one another. And the truth of that is we can only do that through the power of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to live at peace in your community. This church is to be an example to this world who needs to know the love of God and who the character of God is. And we need to set that example by the way we work and by the way we love and by the way we live in peace that we have rest in our souls and that people would say, why is it that you are at rest in this crazy world, it's because God has saved me. God has given me life. God has told me I am his son or daughter. God has told me I am valuable. And so I live for him. The Proverbs say, Rise up, O sluggard. Look at the way of the ant and how he toils. And that's God's call for us. Amen?